Okay, we're beginning here on the bottom of Lamed Zayin Amud Bet, but the last line. By me neighbor Rabbi Chir Barabo, queried of Rabbi Chir Barabo, Shachach Kedera Gabi Akira, someone who leaves a pot on the stovetop, Ubishla Bishabbat, and then it ends up cooking on Shabbat. Mahu, what is the din? With regards to this, Rashi here frames the question as Aliba de Mandasar, according to the one who thinks that it's problematic to leave it on the stovetop going into Shabbat. Remember that Rashi believes that with regards to Shihiyah, we paskin like Hananya, which means that our Mishnah is talking about Chazara. Therefore, Shihiyah does not require Gufauk Tumah. So Rashi says the Gemara's question over here is a liba demanda amar that our Mishnah was speaking about, l'shahot tan, being about shihiyah, and therefore there is a problem of leaving something on the stovetop when it's not grufang tumah. But that means that it's a low aliba de hilchata. According to Rashid, this has nothing to do with their halachic discourse because in the end we don't paskin like this view and therefore the question is irrelevant according to Kananya and according to the view that Shia does not require group of Tumah. And then the Balayatosafot who agree with Rashi that the halacha is like Kananya and they agree that our Mishnah is speaking about Vichazarat Nan and therefore Shia is allowed by group of Tumah. They say that the question can be formulated in the following manner, which is, Over here the question is, It's being made a case where it has yet to be cooked to the point of Hananya's requirement of Machal ben Dusai, which means that it hasn't reached that minimum threshold, because even Hananya agrees if you don't meet the minimum threshold of Machal ben Dusai, then you can't leave it on the stovetop when it's not Grufa Uktuma. And so therefore the question is, in a situation where it's below that threshold, or the other possibility going the Balea Tosafot is speaking about a case where you have raw meat that is left on the stovetop. Even though in the first parak we noted that if you have raw meat in the oven, then you don't have to worry about it because we're not afraid of Shema Yechatev He's going to stoke the coals because the assumption is if it's raw, that he has no intent of using it tonight. He won't use it till tomorrow. He has plenty of time for it to cook. Therefore there's no incentive for him to stoke the coals to accelerate the cooking process. So Tosafot here makes a distinction which is not clear halachically that that's a difference between a tanur and a stove top which is a kira which does not have the level of heat that a tanur has does not have that dispensation. The dispensation of putting raw meat on the fire right before Shabbat and not worrying about it that's only true by a tanur that carries heavy heat or has the ability to cook in an accelerated manner because of the heat that's trapped inside of it as opposed to a kira which doesn't have the home, does not have the heat of a oven, as we'll see later in today's daf, and therefore it doesn't have this dispensation. The Ritva questions Tosafot's position over here and says, where did he come up with such a distinction? We don't find any such distinction within the Gemara. Therefore, he doesn't believe that it's a appropriate way to frame the question over here. Nevertheless, he does frame the question in the other instance, that it's less than Kamachal ben Jusai. It's interesting that Rashi did not frame it that way. In addition, the Rashba over here, says from Argumar, you see that anything that is already cooked, is already considered to be fully cooked, and therefore any cooking after that point in time would not be considered bishul. There isn't bishul or bishul once you've crossed over the threshold of Machal ben Jusai. And therefore, that's why the Tosafot explained that it was less than Machal ben Jusai and not more than Machal ben Jusai, because once you cross over that threshold, there's no more longer a din of bishul if you cook beyond that point. That's the view of the Rashbah. Many of the Rishonim and Akronim disagree with that view of the Rashbah and believe that even after Makab and Jusai, there is a din of Bishul, even though there may not be a problem of leaving it on a stove or it is not Gufa Uktuma, 
there still is a din of Bishu after Machal ben Jusai. Even though the Rashba quotes Rashi as saying the same thing as the Balea Tosafot. Nevertheless, why didn't Rashi explain the Gemara like Balea Tosafot? Pnei Yushua over here indicates that Rashi did not formulate it like the Tosafot, because then this Gemara would bring along in the first parrot. Because, according to Rashi and Tosafot, the first parrot deals with things that are less than Machal ben Jusai and more than Machal ben Jusai, whereas all of the Gemarot, until now, according to Rashi and Tosafot, were speaking about cases that already were cooked. Ben Dusai, it's already crossed over that threshold of Hananya. If that's the case, then this is an oddball question, according to the way that Tosso is explaining it, that here we have a case that's below that threshold of Kamachal Ben Dusai, and therefore Rashi opted to explain the Gemara, Lo Aliba de Hilchata, according to the one who says that Shihiyah is problematic when you don't have Gufa and Tumah, against the way that Rashi and the Baliyah Tosafot Paskin. Gemara says, Ishtik He had no response to this. The Machar Nafak V'darashluhu. The next day he gets up and gives a Jirashah and brings a Braita. Amir Vashel B'Shabbat B'Shogay. Someone who cooks on Shabbat unintentionally, Yochal. He has the ability or is permitted to eat it. B'Mezid, Lo Yochal. On the other case, if it was done intentionally, Lo Yochal, he may not eat it. V'Lo and it makes no difference. Mar says, my Veloshna. What does it mean, Veloshna? Now, obviously, the case that the Breita is speaking about is not similar to our case. That's because it uses the active verb of a Mevashel, someone who cooked on Shabbat. Truth is that this is a three-way makloket in other Gemarot between Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Huda, and Rabbi Yochanan Asanbar. Over here, the Gemara quotes only the Shita of Rabbi Meir, which is interesting, even though we normally pass them like Rabbi Huda. It would seem to be that the Gemara believes that even Rabbi Huda in this instance will agree. And the difference being that that case where it's speaking about Mivashel Shabbat, that's speaking about active cooking on Shabbat. As opposed to our cases where he forgot it on the fire and then it ended up cooking on Shabbat. It's not a violation de Oraita, but only a violation Midrabanan, because you weren't supposed to leave it that way. And it was unintentional or intentional, meaning that he put it on the fire, and then he had assumed that he was going to take it off before Shabbat. Then right before Shabbat, he either forgets, and that's an unintentional leaving it, or even if he remembers, he decides, I'm not going to take it off, and leaves it there. But in either case, did he actively cook the item on Shabbat? It was done passively, and that's what the Gemara wants to know. What is the Loshnami? Rab of Rav Yosef, the case that is quoted in the bright is a case where you do it actively. But in our case where it's passive, then it's the heter, meaning, There what he does in active cooking, there by mezid lo yochal, he can't eat it. In our case, where he's not doing something actively, even if he does it intentionally, he could still eat it. We don't penalize him in this case. Now that they are... Loshna means that it's us or here no matter what. By Mavashel, a person who cooks intentionally on Shabbat doesn't do it in a backhanded or sneaky manner. He either is doing it or isn't doing it. If he does it with Shogeg, it was unintentional. does it with Mezid, he really doesn't care about Shabbat. He's not trying to trick people into thinking that he's doing it unintentionally. As Rashi points out, that we don't have suspicion that people intentionally violate Shabbat. Therefore, it's not a consideration that they would be doing this in an underhanded manner and say that they're doing it unintentionally when they're really doing it intentionally. So therefore, Bishogeg Yochal, because it was unintentional, Aval, Hai, Datili Rumei, in our case, where a person can leave it passively going into Shabbat, there's no violation of cooking Midorite, that's only an Easter Dirabanan, they will do this in a underhanded manner, and say that I unintentionally left it on the fire, when they really intentionally did it, because it's all about Machshavah and intent over here, and there's no active violation, therefore, Bishogeg Namilo Yochal, they penalized him even by Shogeg to say you can't eat it, because they were afraid of people doing this b'mezid, 
and then claiming it was done bishogeg. Now we have a bright thought from the Tosefta that seems to undermine both positions with regards to what we do in a case of Shachak Deira because here it says Shachak Deira person forgets a pot on top of the stove, Ubishlabi Shabbat, and ended up cooking through to Shabbat. Bishogeg Yochal, if it was unintentional, you can eat it. Bemezid, Lo Yochal, if it was intentional, then he may not eat it. Bamed Vayimamurim, what is that speaking about? Bechamim, Shlo Huchmu Kotzorchan, speaking about water that was not heated fully. Bitavshil, Shlo Bishel Kotzorcho, or a food item that was not fully cooked. Aval, but in an instant, Shechamim, Shlo Huchmu Kotzorchan, where the water was heated fully or cooked fully, Tavshil, Shlo Bishel Kotzorcho, or the food item was completely cooked, then Ben Bishogeg, Ben Bemezid, Yochal, and either in case, whether it's intentional or unintentional, you can eat it. Rabbi Meir. That's the view of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Hudo Meir. Rabbi says, Chamin Shuchmu Kol Waters that are fully cooked or fully heated. Mutarim. Mibnesh Mitztamek Verado. Because if you continue to cook it, you continue to boil it, it's negative for the water because of the fact that it will boil off, it will evaporate. Tavshil should be Shel Kol An item where it's fully cooked, a sewer. There it's problematic. Mibnesh Mitztamek Veopelo. Because as you continue to cook it, it shrivels up, but it is beneficial or an improvement in the item, and therefore it's considered to be a continuation of the cooking process. And anything where the continuation of the cooking or the persistence of cooking is good for it to go and prove upulim ubasar taruf, things like cabbage, beans, and basar taruf, as the oral explains over here, basuk taruf is pieces of meat, like in a meat stew. And that goes to what we saw in yesterday's daf with regards to basar being good when you continue to cook it as long as it's not for orchim, as long as it's not for guests. Because if it's for guests, you want whole pieces of meat. Over here, the meat continues to break down and the fat is more and more liquefied and seeps in and flavors the dish. That's only good if you're doing it in a fashion where you don't mind that the meat is breaking apart into pieces or turning into a stew. In those cases, it's all mitztamek v'yopilo and asur. On the other hand, kol mitztamek v'radlo, if something that you continue to cook would be negative or detrimental to it, then it would be mutar. In this case, the Gemara says, Ktani miha, tapshil shlo bishel kol And over here we have an item that wasn't fully cooked, was left on the fire going into Shabbat. And yet we see that both Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Huda distinguish between Shogeg and Mezid. They themselves argue about what items it applies to. But in both instances, both Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Huda distinguish between Shogeg and Mezid. Which is a question in all the opinions that we saw before that said when it comes to the case of passive cooking, leaving it on the fire, there we do not distinguish between Shogeg and Mezid, whether it's the Hetera or the Isura, but we don't distinguish, and this brightness seems to indicate otherwise. So, Mara says, Bishmala Rav Nachman Bar Yitzvah, Lokasha. According to Rav Nachman Bar Yitzvah, who says that the Shogeg and Mezid were equated, and therefore they are both Asurim, Kan Kodem Gzera, the brightness that we just quoted was prior to the Gzera, Kan leachar gzeira, and here it is after the gzeira, meaning prior to the institution of making the mezid and shogeg equal. So prior to the gzeira, that's what the Tosefta was speaking about, where there was still distinction between shogeg and mezid. The statement that I'm making is following what Rebbe Abba says post the gzeira, where they equated shogeg to mezid to prevent people from acting in such a manner. El Rabba Rav Yosef According to Rabbi and, Yosef, Rabbi and Rabbi Yosef, who both say that it is Shavela Hatera with regards to passive cooking, 
If it was before the Gzeira, Akasha Mezid, the Mezid is problematic because the Brita is prior to the Gzeira. If Rabbi Chir Baba's position was before the Gzeira was instituted, then Mezid is problematic for them because they equate Mezid and Shogeg to Hetera, and yet the Brita says it is a Sur. If Rabbi Chir Baba's statement was made after the Gzeira, then Kashinam is Shogeg. And Shogeg is also problematic for them because, so not only Mezid should be problematic, but also Shogeg should be problematic. Kashot, that is a problem for their position. My Gzerta, what exactly is this Gzera? Amrav Yehuda, Amrav Shmuel, Amrav Yabba, Amrav Kana, Amrav. Tchila yu omrim evashel b'shabbat b'shogeg yochal. Someone who cooks unintentionally on Shabbat can eat it. B'mezid lo yochal. And if he does it intentionally, lo yochal, no may not partake of it. V'wadin l'shocheach. And at first they said that that was the same din as someone who leaves it on the fire going into Shabbat. M'shrabu, m'shayim b'mezid. Once they reached a point where people were intentionally leaving on the fire, violating the din d'rabonin to remove it and not to shia going into Shabbat. And they were doing it intentionally, v'omrim shchechim anu. And they were saying we're doing it unintentionally. Chazru b'kansu ala shocheach. They went back and then were konais. Which means that originally it was that by Shogeg and Mezid, the din was the same by passive as it was by active cooking on Shabbat. And then they changed it that post the Gzerat, that Shogeg looks like Mezid and you are penalized in both cases, which obviously then would be a problem for this position of Rabbi Virab Yosef, who say it is the Hetera. If it's post Gzera, then both Shogeg and Mezid should be restricted. If it's prior to the Gzera, then at least Shogeg should be restricted and not Mezid. Yet they have Rabbi Baba saying that it's Heter in both of those instances. We don't find any time period where that was true. Because you have the Brita that's pre-Gzera. And still it says that Mezid is problematic. And then the post-Gzera where Shogeg is also problematic. At least for Rabbi Nachum Bar Yitzchak, he can explain that Rabbi Baba, who says that it was Shnehem Isur, was post the Gzera. And the statement of the Brita was pre Gzera. And that's how he can reconcile it. But the Rabbi Rabbi Yosef don't have that option. Now the Gemara also points out that Kasha the Rabbi Meir are the Rabbi Meir. Kasha the Rabbi Yehuda are the Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Meir's position here and Rabbi Yehuda's position here is inconsistent with the Brita that we saw with regards to Shihiyah. On yesterday's daf, whereby we said, Kashma, bet kirota matimot, achat grufa v'ktuma, v'achat she'ena grufa v'ktuma, v'shayin agabi agrufa v'ktuma, v'hein m'shayin m'shayin agrufa v'ktuma, ma'hein m'shayin, v'hein shamay omim v'lo klom, v'hein tel omim chamim avalo tavshil. Akar, if you already took it off, divri akol yachzir, you can't do any chazara, divri rabbi meir. So there's rabbi meir's opinion, rabbi huda omer, v'hein shamay omim chamim, now you have a problem both for Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. Because Rabbi Meir before suggested that you're not permitted to do Shia according to Beit El except with Chamim. But by Tavshil, you're not allowed to do any Shia. And over here, he's saying that you're allowed to leave both Chamim and Tavshil as long as they were fully cooked before you went into Shabbat. So then how do we reconcile that for Rabbi Meir? Why doesn't the Gemara answer that over there in the previous Praetor, it was speaking about what is Enu Mubushal Kol Tzorchol. That's why he only permitted Chamim and not Tishol. Yet over here was Mubushal Kol Tzorchan. That's why he permitted both of them. Tosafot here reiterates their opinion that when it says Tavshil and Chamin, it means both fully cooked or partially cooked. There's no differentiation in the Gemara between them. Therefore, Istam Brita or Mishnah, when it mentions those terminologies, means both whether it's fully cooked or partially cooked. 
Therefore, that distinction is not a fair distinction to make over here. And the truth is that the question of Rabbi Meir is even more extensive because before Rabbi Meir said that he was only Matir Chamin in a Kira that was Gufak Tuma. And over here, we're not talking about Gufak Tuma necessarily, and yet he's still permitting Chamin. And then Tosafot also adds on the fact that, going to Rabbi Meir, before he was Matir Chamin Stam, without any definition as to what type of Chamin, it sounds like even Chamin that were not fully heated up. And over here, he's Matir Chamin only if it was Kuchmu Kotzorchan. So all of those create a distinction in Rabbi Meir's position. Where it says, the Rabbi Meir, the Rabbi Meir Question is, how it came about. If it was a Chatechila, meaning that the first Mishnah is, if you come and ask us what to do in this case, and you're doing Shia, then we would only permit you to do it with Chamin and not with the Tapshil. Over here, it's speaking about Bidiyabad. If you left it on the fire, Bishogeg, and it was a Chamin or a Tapshil, both of those will be permitted to be eaten in this case. So according to Rashi, the distinction of the problem with Rabbi Meir is before he allowed us to only put Kamin on. Yet in this bright over here, he allows Kamin and Tavshil. Why is there such a distinction? And so the difference is Lekatkhila versus Bidiyabat. And then Tosafot also adds on the fact that, so you'll also have to answer for Rabbi Meir, not only the fact difference between Lekatkhila and Bidiyabat, but also the difference between Gufak Tuma and Enein Gufak Tuma. And we have a steer in Rabbi Huda's position who says that over there, both the Tavshil and Chamin are allowed to put on the fire. And here, he says that if you have a Tavshil, that is, Bishel Kol Tzrochot, it is a problem. Kashi the Rabbi Huda, the Rabbi Huda. Rashi claims that the previous bright that Rabbi Huda said that you're allowed to leave over there Chamin and Tavshil. And over here, he only allowed Chamin and not Tavshil. Or the question could be enhanced even further, which is that before, he only allowed Chamin and Tavshil when it was Grufa. Whereas over here, it's Enugrufa, which would make it sound like whether it was Kamin or Tavshil, it would be problematic. The Rabbi Yehuda, the Rabbi Yehuda nami lo kasha, it says, kan bi grufa viktuma, kan bi grufa viktuma, depends on what type of stove you're speaking about. So over there, in the bright, the Rabbi Yehuda said that both Tavshil and Kamin were allowed to be left on the fire. That's because over there, the case was a grufa viktuma, as it says in the bright, it was cleared out or ashes were put on the coals and there's no problem with Shem Yechatet HaGichalim. Therefore, you can have both Kamin and Tavshil on the fire going into Shabbat if it was Bishel Kol Tzorchol. Khan, in our instance of here, where he only permits Kamin and not Tavshil should be Bishel Kol Tzorchol, is the case when it's Enegrufa Ktumai, it did not have the ashes put on or the coals swept away. And therefore, it's problematic for him to have a Tavshil, at least the Chatechila, on the fire going into Shabbat. Now the Gemara continues and asks, If the person violated this restriction of Shia and did it anyway, what's the din? Whether the Rabbanan penalized him or not. The question seems completely superfluous because it seems to me that's exactly what we just dealt with in the previous sugya. Rashi adds in the word, He says that the question here is, if you do it intentionally, what is the din? Even with Rashi saying, adding in the word, it's still difficult. Because he claims that before Rabbi Chia Barabbas' question was the case of Shugeg, but nevertheless it did address the issue of Mezid as well. Therefore the Marshal here claims that the Mezid that we're speaking about here is a different Mezid, it's a Mezid of Omer Mutar, versus a Mezid of intentionally leaving there knowing that you're violating the Din Chachamim. The case where the person says, oh, I didn't know that it was Asur, and he does it with Omer Mutar, that we penalize someone by Omer Mutar, like we did when we penalized them for Shogeg and for Mezid. And so that's how he explains Rashi's explanation of Mezid over here. It doesn't exactly fit into the word Mezid, because generally Omer Mutar is associated with Shogeg, or sits somewhere between Shogeg and Mezid. Nevertheless, he differentiates it and says that maybe there it's not a Harama. A Shogeg, we can worry about Harama because the people know what they're doing. Omer Mutar, he doesn't know that it's a sewer at all. Maybe over there they didn't penalize him 
fish shogeg. That's the way the Marsha explains Rashi. Tosafot says, Venira the read, the Mibaile Bibasho Ubishogeg, Valibi the Rabbi Yehuda. That this question is in the sheet of Rabbi Yehuda, where it was fully cooked, and it was Shogeg, even though the Aloha is not like Rabbi Yehuda. Again, both Rashi and Tosbo think the Aloha is not like Rabbi Yehuda, because they think that it's like Hananya, that you don't need Grufa and Tuma once you cross over Machal Ben Rusai. Yet Rabbi Yehuda does require it, even when it's Bushal Kod Zorcho, if it's Mitzdamek Viyopelo, and if it is not Mitzdamek Viyopelo, up till Bishul Kod Zorcho, it's still a problem. Now, the question is, did Rabbi Yehuda only say that by Mezid, or did he also apply it to Shogeg. Although Tosvot admits that that formulation of the question isn't great because of the language that's used in the Gemara here in the question, which is Avar Vishaha, which makes it sound like it was done intentionally and not unintentionally. It's not that Avar Vishtaheh, which would be a passive violation of Shogeg. Rather, it seems to be that there's an active violation over here. Nevertheless, the Bali Tosafot say the question of the Safek here is within the sheet of Rabbi Yehuda. And even though the Gemara asked from that Brayta before on Rabbi Chiyababa, making it sound like Rabbi Yehuda does not differentiate between Shogeg and Mezid, nevertheless, the Gemara now is clarifying that point and saying whether maybe that's not true. Maybe Rabbi Yehuda does distinguish between Shogeg and Mezid. And the other Rishonim, like the Ramban, the Rashba, have a takeoff on the Tosafot to say the questions on Rabbi Yehuda. But it's only in a case where it's Mibushal Kol Tzorchol and Mitzdamek Miyotelo. Was Rabbi Yehuda's Knas by Shogeg only applicable when it was in Mabushal Kol Tzorcho. That's when it was problematic. But if it was Mabushal Kol Tzorcho, it was not Kone Shogeg out to Mezid, even though he believes Mitzdamek Viyopolo is a sore. Or do we say that it has the same din as Enu Mabushal Kol Tzorcho? Because Mabushal Kol Tzorcho and Mitzdamek Viyopolo are both Asurim. And that's the nature of the Gemara's question over here. And now the Gemara addresses that. Tashma, Damar Shmo Barnatan, Amr Rabbi Hanina, Kishalach, Rabbi Yossi Litzipori, Matzah Chamin, Shnishtahu, Agabi Akira. He found Chamin that were left on the Kira, below Asarlan, and he didn't say it was problematic. He found eggs that were cooking away, that were left again on the stovetop, and there he said it was problematic. So you have Chamin that he said were not problematic, and he has that are problematic. The distinction between them clearly would be that water, as we said before, is mitztamek viralo, and eggs are mitztamek viofilo. So according to those Rishonim that say that's the question here, that's what it's addressing. It's addressing a case of According to the Bali Tosvot, it's addressing an issue of Shogeg in Rabbi Yehuda, and we're clearly speaking the position of Rabbi Yehuda, because there's a distinction where it believes here, Mitzvah Miyofilo is problematic, like the sheet of Rabbi Yehuda, and within the position of Rabbi Yehuda, now we're getting a sense of what's happening. And according to Rashi, it seems like that this was a case of Mezid, and the Aloha will be applicable even though it was a case of a zid, and my love, Loto Shabbat. Sounds like he told them that you can't eat this anymore because of what you did, and therefore it would be a penalty on those people that, according to the Ramban and the Rashba, put something on Mavushal Kol Tzorcho, but it was Mitzdamek Viyopolo, according to Bali Tosafot, someone Bishogeks put it on, according to Rabbi Yehuda, even though it was not Mavushal Kol Tzorcho, and he was still penalized for it. According to Rashi, since it was done intentionally, or according to the Marsha, since it was Omer Mutar, and yet over here, he was penalizing them on that Shabbat. Christ says, no, didn't mean that he penalized them on that Shabbat, the Shabbat Abah. He told them not to do it the next Shabbat. So he didn't penalize them on that Shabbat, but he told them it was improper for the next Shabbat. So now maybe there is no penalty, so you can't conclude anything. But what you can't include from this is the Beit Simitzumakot, Mitzdamakot, V'yafelahen, Nidu. It's clear that the eggs, then they continue to cook, are better and better, meaning that the longer you cook them, the better they get in. 
That is true. Damarab Kamar Bachanina, Pamachat Nitarakti Anib Rabi the Makomechat. I and Rabbi visited some location, they Fanenu Bitsimitsumakot, it was on a weekday. They brought for us these eggs that had been cooked and cooked and cooked, Piroz Radin. Until the point that they had reached these types of fruit grow on the on these thorny types of bushes. They're known as a hawthorn and the fruits on them are known as haws. They look a little bit like a ramon, like a pomegranate, but they come in colors like yellow and red. And they have an apple-like taste to them, but they have the crown on top like that of a ramon. So they were very small items and the eggs were cooked to the point that they were small. And we ate tons of them. They were so tasty. So you see that Beitzim are even though the Gemara here is unable to come to any conclusion with regards to the question that it posed, because it's not clear whether Rabbi Yossi, when he went to Tzipori, was Osir on that Shabbat, or he only told him in the future not to do that. Now, we go back to the Mishnah where it says, that you can also return it. Now, we saw in the Mishnah on this Machloket, and you're going to see it again here as to what that means. I'm Rav Shesha, the Divi Omer Machzirin. person who says you can return it means, Afilu B'Shabbat. Even on Shabbat. The way Rashi explains is that Afilu B'Shabbat B'Yom Macharat on the next day. I mean that the Gemara's assumption is that if you can return it, it's not only on the Friday night you can return it to the fire, but even on Shabbat day you can return it to the fire. Rashi thinks that Chazara is all about on Shabbat itself, and therefore the Gemara here is qualifying and saying that when you can return it, it's not only on Friday night, it's also on Shabbat day itself. Tosavot the Shita though, back in the Mishnah says that the Chazara over here means, Afilu B'Shabbat means that there is Chazara on Chol. Before Shabbat starts, there's also the Din of Chazara, and the Balei Tosavot to find that in the Mishnah as being a time period within which you are so close to Shabbat that if you started with it cold, it would have just the sufficient time to heat it up, that at that point in time it's already called Chazara before Shabbat, it's no longer called Shia. And that's what the Gemara is saying here, Afilu B'Shabbat means not only can you put it back on Bechol, before Shabbat, in that small window before Shabbat, but you can also put it back on, on Shabbat itself. Rabbi Boshaya Sabar Af machzirin afilu b'shabbat. And Rabbi Shaya thinks the same thing. Dam Rabbi Shaya, pamachat ha'ino omdim le'ela mi Rabbi Chia Rabba. We were standing, or we were living with Rabbi Chia Rabba. Ve'elano lo kumkum shel chamim idiuta taktono idiuta elyona. We brought him an urn full of water, a kettle full of water, from the lower part of the house to the upper part of the house. Mazagnu lo etakos. And we poured for him a cup of hot water. Ve'exeruno limkomo. And then we returned to it to its former place, and he didn't say anything. So you see here, even on Shabbat itself, we allow for Chazara to take place. The only can do Chazara if it's still in your hand. If you put them down on the ground before you do the Chazara, then it is a sewer, because placing them on the ground, as Rashi says them here, Batle Hatmana Detmol. That undermines the hatmana from yesterday. And then when you put it in, it's like a new hatmana, which is not allowed on Shabbat. This is Rashi the Shitato, who thinks that the problem, both of Shia and mostly Chazara, is a problem of hatmana. Rashi the Shitato says that is here as well. For others, it's the problem of Mechseh Kimivashel, which is as long as you keep it in your hand, it's as if you never took it off the flame or you're intending to put it back, so it's not Mechseh Kimivashel. If you put it down already, it's like a new placement on the fire. And therefore it's problematic because of that chazara. And therefore it's not enough simply that it be grufang tuma. We need something else to give a heker. So that's not mechsheh So that's one requirement is that you have it in hand. So this is different than the terminology is used. For instance, in brochot we saw there, 
It was used that he did it for his own benefit. That was by Shimon ben Shetach when he's benching for the king and the queen. Over here, Abad the Gamei, and there is a similar interpretation brought by some of the Rishonim in Gemara and Brachot as well, which is that he's a dat yochid in this manner. This is the view. Even if you put it down on the ground, it's mutar to do chazara. They argue about this, and both of them in the name of Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar ben Padat, who's the Talmud Chaver of Rabbi Yochanan. If it's still in your hand, you're allowed to put it back on the fire. If it's on the ground, it's not. Nami mutar. That if you put it down on the ground, it's still mutar. That which we say when you're still holding it, you're allowed to put it back on the fire. That's only if you had in mind when you took it off the fire that you're going to put it back on the fire. Asur. If it doesn't have in mind to put it back on the fire, then it is asur. Michlau. From this you wouldn't conclude, Karka. If you put it down on the ground, if you intended to return it, asur, it's not enough. Because there's a betelut. By placing it down on the ground, you undermine that which was done prior to this. And therefore, you cannot go then and put it back on the fire. Igadamre, there's a kula version of this. It's, which is, Amar chizke mishmeida bai. Adamar dogabe karka asur. That's what you said that you put on the ground as asur. Lo amran eloshein datolak zir. I told him you didn't have in mind to return it. If you had in mind to return it, then it's mutar. From there you conclude, if you had in hand, even if you didn't have in mind to put it back, mutar. So then it would be mutar, and that would be a cooler version of that. And even though it's a dinder al-bonon, since it's mechseik mevashel, and it's very easily can come to an isudoraita, paskin bechumra would like the lishna kama. Although there are a slew of rishonim, including the ritva and the ran, and many others that the barolacha brings, that were makyo, like the second Lashon. And therefore, if there is a necessity, we can be make you like that second Lashon. When you put it down on the ground. What happens if you don't put it on the ground, but you don't keep it in your hand? You hung it up on a pin or a peg. Or you put it on a bed. What's the din there? Is that considered to be alakarko? Is that still considered to be biyado? If you move the waters from one urn to another urn, what's the din with regards to that? According to Rashi, is that like a new hatmana when you put it on the stove top again? Or is it a continuation of the original hatmana? Because even though you change kelim, it's still the same water that you're putting back. Or according to the others, is there a problem? Because it's still the same hot water, it just happens to be a different utensil. In all those cases, we leave it as a teku. And then, therefore, the aloha, we say that you need all these naim, all these conditions in order to return it. When you do chazara on Shabbat, if you take it off of an item that is gufak tuma, that doesn't have any other heker associated with it, if you want to place it back on the fire, for instance, on Friday night, you take the soup off the fire, the chant off the fire, you want to put it back afterwards. In order to qualify, you need all these items to be true. First of all, mevushal fully cooked, you have intended when you took it off to put it back. Number two is you hold it in your hand. You don't put it down on the ground. And many believe because of what we leave here as a take, you can't even put it down on the counter. And it still has to be hot. It still has to be in a state where it is considered to be mevushal. And it did not fully cool down. There are heterim, for instance, if the item is too heavy, like a chalm pot, and you can't hold it in your hand successfully and dish it out, that one can either lean it on something else at the same time. One should still keep it off the ground a little bit. If you can't even do that, one should keep their hand on it to indicate it's biado, even though it's not physically being held out biado, in order to qualify with all of these naim that we mentioned over here. So the Ran and the Ramban have a huge Kiddush over here based on the Ushami, which is that the Chazara that we're speaking about here means that if you took it off before Shabbat, 
and now you're turning up the Shabbat, you're trying to put it back on on Shabbat. And all of these naim, or if you took it off before Shabbat, we only allow you to put it back on on Shabbat if you held it in your hand all the way through, because then it looks like it's a continuation. It's not mechzeh k'mibashel, because it's like you're starting something on Shabbat. Whereas if you put it down on the ground, that already looks like you're starting a new visho on Shabbat, because you took it off before Shabbat, and now you're putting it on, on Shabbat. But if that's the case, then if you took it off on Shabbat itself, then you'd be mutar to return it on Shabbat itself, no matter what, even if you put it down on the ground, maybe with, even without all these naim, which means that even if you put it in the refrigerator and it completely cooled down, you'd be able to put it right back on to the blech on Shabbat, because that's not the chazorah that has all those requirements according to the Ran. And the Ran is a big kula, which the Ramah quotes. And even though he quotes the aloha, he says, Tod lachmir. And therefore, we don't use the Ran outright, but we use the Ran as a sniff to other kulot when it comes to allowing someone to do some chazara on Shabbat. Now the Mishnah comes up and discusses other types of cooking instruments. We spoke about a kira, which was a stovetop in the previous Mishnah. Now the Mishnah says tanur, tanur, which is an oven. They want to use straw or stubble. ben ben You can't place something inside of it or on top of it. Meaning that the heat level, as Rashi notes over here, is so great that there is no head there to cook in such an item, even if it's garuf vikatum. In Ikash and Gavava, as we saw in the previous Mishnah, either they don't make coals, or they don't create a sufficiently hot atmosphere in a kira, and therefore you don't need to have garuf vikatum by Kash and Gavava. Here by Tanur, even Kash and Gavava are problematic. Kopach, now Kopach, as the Gemara is going to note, is something that sits between a kira and a Tanur. You fired it up with these materials. That has a din like a kirayim, like a stovetop. If you use the better fuels that either create coals or are mostly pebble, according to Rashi, then it has a din of a tanur, so it sits in between. And as Rashi describes over here, and the Gemara will say this later, that a tanur is a pyramidic structure that traps the heat inside, and you can put the item either sits directly on the coals or on the fire inside, or you paste it to the wall when you're making bread. The kopach and the kira are stovetops, but the difference is that by a kira, you have two areas where you can sit, pans or kettles on top. So it's a two-ring pot stove. The kopach is a one-pot stove, so it's much smaller than a kira, but the kopach is also shaped like a cube and not like a rectangular, not a rectangular like a kira, and therefore, similar to a tanur, it preserves the heat much better and gets much hotter than a kira would get. And therefore, a kopach sits in between, and if you use the lighter fuels, like the kashan gavava, it has a din like kirayim. If you use the better fuels, then it has a din like a tanur, and it would be problematic. And as Tosvo points out over here, this Mishnah is going to follow the same structure as the previous Mishnah. That means that if you think the previous Mishnah is talking about Chazara, also here we're talking about Chazara, which means that by Shihiyah, leaving something in an oven, even if it's not Gufak Tumah going into Shabbat, would be perfectly fine as long as it's cooked, Tumah Chal Ben Drusai, the view of the Bali Tosafot. And he makes no distinction between an oven and a stove, because in the first parak we made no such distinction. The first parak we speaking about an oven, a tanur, over there it says you have raw meat in it, we let you leave it going into Shabbat as long as it's cooked, either Kemachal ben Dusai or it's totally raw. And that's a case where it's Enu Garuf Vikatum. Where it says, Tanur Shisikua, the Tanur that was fired up. When the Mishnah says you can't put something inside of it, it means literally inside it. Agavav means Agavav Amash, literally on top of it. Well, the smoke, to put something near it, Shapir Dami, to put something adjacent to it and heat it up in that manner would be fine. 
Our mission says that if you take the single stove and you heat it up with the lighter fuels, it has a din of kiraim. If you use the heavier or the better fuels, it has a din like tanur and asur. Ha, kikira, shari. If you did a similar thing by a kira, it would be mutar. So, because the only problem is that it's a kopach, it's not a kira. So then, by kira, this would be permissible. But my askina, what's exactly the scenario? Ilema gabav. If you're doing that on top of it, ubemai. Ilema shenu garuf katum that you didn't clear out the coals, and you didn't put ashes on the coals, in a case where you have a kira that's not grufak tuma, and you put something on top, who says that's mutar? There you have a problem. You're going to stoke the fire. We don't let you do that. smoke Must be a scenario where you're putting it adjacent to the kira, and it's not grufak and tuma, and over there it's mutar by kira, but it's still a sur by a kopach and by a tanur. Varidani, ariyukit tanur vasur. That a kopach is like a tanur and a sur, even though it's the smoke. Who says that it has to be a case where you didn't clear out the coals or you didn't put ashes on the coals? Maybe it's a case here where it was cleared out. And the mission is also speaking about a tanur grufak tuma, which is a big chiddush now, and which is the halacha that by tanur, even if it's grufak tuma, it's so hot that we don't let you leave things in it going into Shabbat. Referring to Rashi, it's a problem of Moshe Pebble that we saw earlier. The Rambam says that because the heat is so great, even after grufak tuma, or even after use gash and kavavah, where there's not much left, there's only a small fire, you would still not be mesiach dato mimenu, and you would still go and stoke it, because any little bit of fire has such a disproportionate impact on the heating of the oven, that you might come to do it, and therefore it's still a problem with Shema Yechatebe Gechalim, even in the case of Gufak Tumah. The Ran, the beginning of the Perek, says that it's a problem of Mechzegim Vashel, since it's so hot, it looks like there are coals in there, and therefore people will come to allow coals in situations like the Kira, because they think the tanur really has cold in it, given how hot it is. And depending on the reason, will also have impact on whether you think that grufak tuma will help over here. That's generally what we paskin, which is that by an oven, we, even if it's grufak tuma, we still don't allow it to be used on Shabbat, even though there might be room if it's kash and gavava and it's grufak tuma. Tarvi Shonim will think by an oven tanur that it, that would be okay. Harehu kitanur, and therefore it has the din of tanur. The afagab the garuf katum agabab asur. That even though it's garuf katum, on top of it is problematic. The ikikira, if it was similar to a kira, grufak tuma shaperdami. Had you put it on top, it would have been fine because it's grufa and katuma. It's grufak tuma. Then by a kira, we allow you to put it on top, and also by a kopach, we restrict it just like a tanur, despite the fact that it's grufa ukatuma, and that's because of the heat levels are just too high, and therefore it seems, either like, according to Rashi, Mosif Hevel, and it's a problem about mana, or the other, then we still worry about Shema Yechateh even though technically, there is no there are no Gechalim over here, and therefore the smoke next to a Tanur would be perfectly permissible in this case. As Tosma points out, that this Ilema is not really, if you want to say, it's the only way that Abai can explain the Mishnah, because otherwise, if he could explain it that it was Grufan Tumah, then he would explain it like the Gemara does over here, by Rabbah the fact that he doesn't explain it that way means that he's compelled to do that. And that's because he believes that if it was Grufak Tumah, you can't make a distinction between Kash and Gavava and Gefet and Eitzim. That distinction only applies when the fuels are still there and the items are still there. If it's already Grufa, why should there be any distinction? And Ravada Baba obviously disagrees and says that the intensity of the heat is still differentiated even after Grufa and Tumah. 
Now the Gemara continues, Tana Kavate de Abaye, we have a bright that supports Abaye's position, Tanur Shisikul Bikash Begavava, ain't some primla, a oven that was fired up with these lower quality fuels, you can't put something next to it. And certainly you can't put something on top of it. And obviously you can't put something into it. And certainly by the case of Gefet Ubeitzim, when you have the higher quality fuels, certainly all these things are restricted. And you see, like a baye, that there's a problem of putting something adjacent to an oven when it has any of these items in it, when it's not Gufa and Ketumah. On the other hand, a single place stove that was heated up with these lower quality fuels, Somchim Lo, one can't put something adjacent to it. The gears that we have over here is Ve'enotnim Al-Gabav, whereas the Gra changes it to make more sense, which to say is Somchim Lo Ve'enotnim Al-Gabav, that you can't place it on top. Because that's similar to our Mishnah, otherwise this would be in conflict with our Mishnah. Or the other possibility is a girsa that the Tosfot bring, which is that instead of saying Bikashu Gavava, it says Begevitim, and then it would say Ain Somchimlo and Ain Notrimalav. And that way it'd also be consistent with our Mishnah and like what Abaye is looking for. Begevitim, if you use the higher quality fuels, ain't somchimlo, then you can't put it adjacent, and certainly you can't put it on top or inside of it. Amale, so there you have a brighta that is supportive of a bias contention over here, that's these, putting something next to it is similar to putting it on top or inside of it. And therefore the din of the tanur is exactly the same by smicha as it is al gabav, and same thing with regards to the kopach. Amale ravacha braid the rubble ravashi, ay kopach echidami. What exactly is this kopach that we've been discussing in the Mishnah? If it has a din like a kira, I feel like it would be nami. Even if you use the better quality fuels, you still be mutar to do shiyah or chazarah, depending on what you think the mission is speaking about. If it's like an oven, I feel like it would be Even if you use the lower quality fuels, nami lo. It should still be problematic. It's hotter than a two-place stove. But still it's lower heat intensity than a tanur. A tanur is shaped like a pyramid Therefore, it traps the heat inside of it much better, and therefore, it's much hotter. This is cubic, and therefore, it allows the heat to expand more, and has a hole in the top, which allows the heat to escape, even though if you have a pot on it, so therefore, it cools off a little bit. But it's not like a kira, which is much wider and has two spots where the heat can escape on top, and therefore, it is hotter than a kira, but yet cooler than a tanor. Hechidami kopach. What exactly is this kopach, hechidami kira, and what is a kira? What's the distinction between them? Kopach makom shvitat derachat. Kopach only has place for one pot to be put on top of it, one stove top. Kira makom shvitat shtek, they wrote. Whereas a kira has a stove top that allows for placement of two pots on it. We have that in a Mishnah in Kelim that gives a similar picture of what a kopach and a kira are. Because kira tohura. If you cut a kira down its lengthwise, then it's tohura because it's no longer usable because you now you cut both areas where the stove sat, the circle sat on top, had been sliced in half, and therefore if you did it along the lengthwise, it is tahor because you ruined the clay. But, if you cut it in half between the two circles that are the stove tops over there, then that would be tmeyah because they could still function each one individually as a kopach if you put it up against the wall, the open side or the open wall, and then you have two kopachs, and therefore it's not mevutal from being a clay. Kopach, ben rokah, ben rokbah tahor. Whereas by a kopach, since it is a cube, a square, no matter which way you cut it, whether you cut it lengthwise or widthwise, both of those will ruin the kopach, and you will not be able to put any more part of it, and it lost its function, therefore it's tahor from being a kli. Okay, we're going to stop here by the Mishnah on the bottom of Lamed Chet Amud Bet.